How about now? Hello, can you guys hear me? Hey, wow. Hey, let's give it up for babies one more time. Holy smokes. I can't compete with that, so we should just pray and call it a night. Um, no, we do got the Word of God, and that will help us. But, uh, man, it's, that is a tough act to follow, babies. So uh, praise God for children. Uh, how about we pray? Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. We thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we could rejoice in this day and be glad in it. Father, I just ask that you would speak this weekend, right now in this moment, to your children, to your sons and your daughters, that, God, that they would hear from you, that they would draw closer to you today as a father who loves and cares and provides and comforts. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, Jesus Christ. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. All right. Can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. It's just the metal, like the heavy metal, the years. I can't really hear myself very well. Uh, so today, we are in Romans chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, please open them up. Chapter 8, they look like this. They're awesome. They're good for you. Um, in verse 14 through 17, which is not where we're starting, we'll get here. But in this section in the letter to Romans, we have this big transition section in this letter where Paul is going to hit this incredible, massive doctrinal truth that he has yet to really unpack so far in this letter and really through the rest of chapter 8. And today what we're going to be unpacking is this doctrine of adoption. So I've titled our sermon this week, An Adoption in the Father Heart of God. This is one of the sweetest biblical truths that affects every single area of the Christian life. From our understanding as God as a father to our understanding of us being sons and daughters and for us to be as brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so when we get to this doctrine of adoption, we're going to have uh, two points for you, and I'll give you those in just a second. But before we get there, I have to start with verses 12. This is where we left off last week, and I'm just going to kind of blow through these a little bit quickly. Um, you're going to have to forgive me. I have tons of notes if you want to meet up for some coffee and we can chat about this. Uh, but really, we spent the last six or seven weeks unpacking this, so just let me read these verses to you quickly, okay? Romans 8, verses 12 through 13. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you remember the last four or five weeks or so, the Apostle Paul has been Unpacking this truth. I got a lot of reverb. That's cool. Uh, these two paths, these two roads that the Christian often struggles to walk down. There's the path of the Spirit, which leads to life. And then there's also this path of our flesh that kind of leads to more sin and ruin and destruction and death. And again, Paul has been unpacking this through Romans 6 and 7 and 8. He's been talking about this reality that for the Christian, it's really hard for us to walk in the Spirit because sometimes our sin is just really tempting. 
It's a hard path to walk. And we've been talking about this for weeks. And there's one of, the, my most, one of my most favorite verses right here that says, if you put by the spirit, if you put the deeds to the flesh to death, it's awesome. In the King James Version, anybody got a King James Version of the Bible? It says that through the spirit, you mortify the deeds of the flesh. I love that because that's way more heavy metal. And I would love to spend some time <laughs> unpacking the, de- the Christian death metal band mortification for you, but I don't have time. And I would love to talk about John Owen's great book called The Mortification of Sin, where you may have heard this quote before, be killing sin or sin will be killing you, right? This is the verse. This verse right here is where the band got their name and John Owen was inspired to write the incredible book. So I won't unpack any of these because we've talked about some of this quite a bit over the last few weeks. But if you wanted some homework, I would encourage you, read The Mortification of Sin by John Owen and listen to Mortification. And then email me and we'll get together and we'll talk over coffee about Mortification and John Owen's book, The Mortification of Sin. But I'd also recommend you to the last five or six sermons as well where we've been unpacking this war that the Christian now has with our flesh and that we are not slaves to sin. We are not in bondage to sin, but we have been freed to a better master, Jesus. And it's wonderful. Check out the last five or six sermons. Uh, But moving ahead to the verses that we're going to be spending most of our time today. Verses 14 through 17, I will read these to you. Starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, as daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Amen. So there's this shift here in the middle of chapter 8 through the rest of this chapter. And there's so much packed into just these three verses right here. And it's all connected to this doctrine of the adoption and this spirit of adoption being brought into the family of God. And I could spend so much time unpacking these, but we just don't have the time. So Lord willing, I want to hand, I want to present two things to you in these verses, two things that I believe if, as we as Christians, if we have a better understanding on the doctrine of adoption, it will help us see so much more beautifully that we belong to the family of God. And the better we understand this doctrine of adoption, it better helps us to understand how sweet it is that we have God who is our Father. So what is the doctrine of Christian adoption? I think we all have a bit of an understanding of what adoption means in the natural sense. When a mommy or a daddy, a family takes on a child who is not their biological child, and they bring them into their family. They go through the entire legal process to bring that child into their home, to make them a permanent legal member of their family. And this adopted child now takes on the same name. They now belong, and they now inherit everything that belongs to this family that they now are a part of. And it's wonderful. There are people in this room 
who are adopted. There are people in this room who have been adopted. My own mother was adopted back in 1961. I was going to bring her adoption papers, two pieces of paper (laughs) with a price of $161. But when we come to this Christian doctrine of adoption, we discover that when we become believers, we too have become like a child who's been brought into a new family. We have been bought with this incredible Price, but what is so much more beautiful is that it's God's family. This is the Westminster Confession of Faith. I won't really read that out loud to you, but that's fun to just look at. But what it means is that when a person has been justified and been forgiven and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, they have at the same time been brought into God's family. And this is the greatest gift and privilege imaginable. Through the spirit of adoption, we receive his name. We now have access to come to him and experience his love and his compassion and God's protection and his provision. And yes, sometimes even his discipline and also his promise to never abandon us. But additionally, like we're saying, we we get this new family. We are given new names, sons and daughters. And that means we now have these new rights and responsibilities and this new inheritance that comes with being God's children. So this is our first big idea. Because of our faith in Jesus, by the spirit of adoption, you and I now belong to the family of God. Verse 14, listen to this again. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. And then in verse 16, if you skip down, the spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God. And now there's a question that's going to arise, we're gonna go, well, hold on, teacher, I thought everybody is children of God. Don't we all belong to God's family? The answer is no. Verse 14, very clearly, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So you read that in the negative, right? Those who are not led by the Spirit of God are not sons of God. The Bible makes a very clear distinction here that in our sinful, fallen nature, our mankind, we are not naturally children of God. And I know, talk about the worst time for me to be speaking about children and adoption after we just had a bunch of cute little innocent angel babies on this stage for me to now say that those little babies need to be given new hearts and they need to be born again. So I've already offended everybody's grandma in this room today. (laughs) So let's just go ahead and get myself full on canceled, okay? So there is a great misconception with that, that we're all God's children. Everybody knows the grandma, bless her heart. She looks at every little baby. She goes, oh, aren't we all God's children? And we say, yeah, okay, amen, grandma. Uh, But then you'll look over there like, hey, grandma, what about that little kid over there? That kid's kicking puppies. And she goes, oh, well, you know, boys will be boys, but we're all God's children. And you go like, okay, well, Nana, what about that guy? He's like robbing that family at gunpoint. She's like, oh, you know, that's just a blip. He's, we're all God's children. God bless Nana. uh, But Nana's theology and her philosophy on mankind's inherent goodness is whack. Someone needs to give Nana the book of Romans. Amen. Now, we do all belong to the family, the human race, for sure. And God is in control and owns every breath that ever comes out of our lung. Yeah, rightfully, God has created us, for sure. But not all of 
men and women and sons and daughters who walk this planet are adopted children of God. Not everyone belongs to the family of God. The blessing of being sons and daughters of God does not come by simply being born, but by being born again. Scripture is very clear. Not everyone is born again. Verse 9, anyone who does not have the Spirit does not belong to God. If God's Spirit is not in you, God is not your Father. That's the negative. But back to the positive. If God's Spirit is in you, you are His Son. You are His daughter. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So this doctrine of adoption, it helps us. It helps us to see that there was once this time where we were all lost. We were all spiritual orphans. We were under the authority of a horrible master, and yet God in his mercy comes to us, and he pays a great penalty. He gives his son to pay the penalty for us. What a sacrifice. And by faith, we trust in him, and then we receive the right to become children of God, it says in John chapter 1. We receive this incredible gift from God. We receive the right to be sons and daughters. That's a beautiful thing, right? And I hope, I wish I'll make it clear you guys understand when the scripture here says we are sons of God or children of God, that implies sisters and daughters, okay? You guys understand this means daughters as well, just to be clear, just like when scripture says in Revelation that we are all the bride of Christ, there's not a bunch of dudes going, well, hold on, I'm not really sure about that. Like, we, make, we understand, okay, I'm the bride of Christ. And then sons and daughters, we understand that's implied here, okay? Just a little background. But anyways, where were I? Sons and daughters, that is an incredible name that you have been given by God. Royalty. Think about this. If your literal genealogy was attached to 10,000 kings and queens, if you were a literal royalty, or say if the king of England was on this side of the room, and then you were on this side of the room, and somebody was to say, well, hey, who has the greater inheritance? Who has more value? I would look to you. You are the son. You are a daughter of the king of kings. God's family is royalty. Another benefit of being the family of God is that now God places me in the lives of other children of God. So that means now the people that I see around me, I must see in a completely different light. These aren't just people that if they aren't my flavor, I just keep at a distance or people that I glance over or I avoid or I unfriend if I don't like them, right? No, this is something bigger. Adoption into God's family has major implications for us. That's my brother. That's my sister. God brings us into this new family, people filled with the same Holy Spirit in me. That has major implications. That means these people who are walking in faith with me, God has put in my camp. God has put in my family to bless me. You are my brothers and sisters. I learned from you. You learn from me. We do life together in this new family that we belong to in Jesus Christ. In other words, we also call this the church, don't we? That's another word that we use. The local church, the family of God, the bride, the body. These are all tremendous gifts that we once did not belong to. 
know if you guys remember about a year ago, like a last, last year, maybe it was two years ago, I don't really know. Um, we gave this whole sermon series on the church and the beauty of the unity and the oneness that we have as Christians united in faith, sons and daughters in the family of God. I'd encourage you to go listen to every one of those. But additionally, adoption is not just awesome because I'm a son and you're a daughter. It's not just incredibly awesome because we have this awesome family. It's an awesome reminder for us because adoption reminds us that being in God's family is something that God did for us. God's done something for us. Timothy Keller, he says it like this. The image of adoption tells us that our relationship with God is based completely on a legal act by the father. You don't win a father. You don't negotiate for a parent. Adoption is a legal act on the part of the father. It is very expensive and costly only for him. There is nothing the son does, the daughter does, to win or earn the status. It is simply received. Yet to all who believed, yet to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Think about everything that we've received in the gospel. God's done it. Our justification. We came to the, we come before God, guilty, broken, sinful. We deserve the penalty, the wrath, the justice of God for our sins that have separated from him. But yet God in his mercy gives his son and his son steps in our place and is crushed on the cross and he dies and he's resurrected to absolve your sins forever in front of the holy God. So now God looks at you through the lens of Jesus and he says, justified, forgiven. God does all of it. Amen. Hallelujah. My salvation regeneration. I need a new heart. I need my sins forgiven. I need to be born again. I'm spiritually dead, drowned in the bottom of the ocean. And God in his mercy comes and he regenerates my heart of stone and gives me a new heart of flesh. And he saves me and he revives me from spiritual death and breathes life and his spirit in me. And I'm born again. God does all of it. Hallelujah. My glorification that Christ has gone to prepare a place for me and he will one day return and bring me home and I will live with him forever in my glorified, resurrected body where there is no sin or shame or death anymore. God does all of it. It's amazing. And all of these things, all these precious doctrinal truths, we see it. none of it is tied to what we did, but what God the Father has done for us. We went from his enemies and we became his sons and daughters. We were children of wrath, and we have become children of obedience. We went from spiritual orphans to family. J.I. Packer, in his great book, Knowing God, he says this, adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers. Higher even than justification is adoption. Wait, what? I thought, adop- I thought justification is like the thing. It is. But adoption is so much greater because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. I agree. I love that. The key phrase there is the richer relationship. What makes adoption into God's family so sweet is that we can now come to God as Father. When we... Consider our standings in regards to justification, right? We see that God is a perfect judge. 
And that is great. If at the throne room of Jesus Christ, we stand guilty and then Christ stands in our place and he pays the penalty for our sin and we are justified and forgiven by God forever, that would be enough. Justification is worth celebrating. But at the same exact time, another celebration happens. And this is where I think we often as Christians neglect is at the same moment God justifies us in the courtroom, no longer guilty, that's a party. But then another party takes place because God the judge steps off of the podium and he takes off the judge's robe and you see a father and he grabs you by the hand and he says, and now you're coming home with me. Now you live with me. You have a new name. You have a new life. I've given you my son. So everything that belongs to me is now yours. This is your new home. We're talking about family. We're talking about a father. We're talking about relationship. Now, listen to me. I know that there are some who believe all of these things, and yet many of you live your lives while keeping God at a distance. Many of you know and believe these things well, and yet you feel like God is the one who still keeps his distance from you. The doctrine of adoption doesn't allow for that. This is the next big idea I want to examine with the rest of our time. For eight chapters, Paul has hit us with all of these heavy theological doctrinal truths, and you're going to get eight more chapters after this. But from now and through the rest of chapter eight, this is something that the Lord has been really pressing on me and I've been wrestling with and studying is the one thing, and you've heard it, but I want you to maybe hear it differently today. And that is this, is that God wants to be known as your father, not a father, your father. In your hand out there, you can go ahead and put your name. God wants to be known as Mike's father. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So now I know many of you in this room have had excellent fathers. Some of your daddies were incredible influences and examples for you. And even some of your daddies has taught me, have been great examples for me. Um, they show us, give us good examples of what our Father in heaven is like. And for some of you, this doctrine of adoption, you go, sweet, I have an awesome dad on earth, and I've got an even more awesome dad in heaven. Score. And praise God for that. I would also add that these verses today should remind you, remind all of us that God is 10 million times better than any good father on this planet. But for many others, I know this is just not true. This is not the case. I can go down the list of my friends. I could go down the list of the men and women in this room. And many of you, by and large, you have some serious daddy issues. I could go through the statistics, national statistics, that one in every four children in grade school live without a father. The statistics on fatherless homes and domestic and verbal abuse and the statistics of incarcerated adult males who didn't have fatherly fi father figures. 
women as well, women who've had abusive fathers, absent fathers, and the statistics on women and their upbringings and their relationships and getting into relationships with horrible experiences like their father that they date and then teenage pregnancies and abortion statistics and depression and suicide. It's, it's tremendous. It's catastrophic, the effect of bad fathers has on our world. But I want to leave you with hope, and I don't want to talk about those because that's so discouraging. But Knowing and experiencing God as Father is one of the sweetest treasures in the Christian faith, and it's one that many can really struggle to grasp. Knowing God as Father was extremely difficult for me because growing up, I did not have a great relationship with my father. Uh, Many of you know, remember my dad. Uh, My father passed away uh, three years ago, next week, actually. Um, Any of you knew my dad, that's awesome. Some of you got to get to know my dad pretty well over the final years of his life, and I'm blessed for that. Um, I believe my father came to know the Lord in the final years of his life, so I'm additionally thankful for that. Um, My father, in his final years, was my best friend. I spent every day with him. My dad and I worked together at our other, my my other job outside of the church. My dad worked with me, so we would carpool to work. We'd work together all day, and then we would come home together because he was our roommate. He uh, rented out our basement. So he was uh, our live-in nanny for my grandkids, which was awesome. You know, I've got to go on tons of dates when grandpa lives downstairs. It's wonderful. Um, This is also why when you hang out with my boy and you see him walking around in Iron Maiden t-shirts and like mouthing Black Sabbath riffs and singing like David Bowie lyrics, like you think that's me indoctrinating my boy? That's all my dad. Trust me, I give my son the harder stuff. (laughs) But... So, like, we, like, those dudes downstairs, we call them the Barney Brothers. They would just sit and chat away and talk about Elton John and Queen and Sabbath, and it's amazing. My dad ruled. He was my best friend. He was my coworker. He was my roommate. Uh, and through the lens of Jesus Christ, he eventually became my brother in Christ. And I want to be sensitive um, for your sake, also for um, my children's sake, as my boy sits under the preaching of his daddy, um, and I'm talking about his grandpa, who was my son's best friend. My children, by the grace of God, never met the man who raised me. Um, When you look at that dude on the left, that Budweiser can, the boot scooting boogie t-shirt, and you go, man, this guy just keeps getting cooler. (laughs) I know. I see a dude who knows how to party. I see the dude who took us to Slayer concerts on school nights and kept us up going to hundreds of other metal shows growing up, and the dude who made sure we had all the newest Super Nintendo games. Um, But when I see that guy on the left, I see the man that I once feared, that I hated. And the Lord has helped me a lot to get to that point where we are on the right side of the screen. I'm growing up, my father was a heavy alcoholic, um, he, did, he abused some pretty brutal drugs there for a while. The 90s were rough in our house. Um, but I see the man that hurt me deeply, um, the man who verbally and physically abused us, and it would hit me and my mom, uh, my autistic brother, Brandon. Um, I see the dude that, if I thanked him for dinner, he would smack you in the face and say, don't thank me for crap, I have to feed you. Living with that man was like walking around with a lit stick of dynamite. 
So the word father comes with some serious baggage for some people, okay? So when I came to faith in Jesus and I started hearing all of this Christian talk about God as a father, I heard and thought of something completely different. Do you guys understand that? You said father, and I felt fear and anger and shame and humiliation and pain. I share this with you because I just, I I want you to understand it's hard to see God as father when you did not have one, a good father. But I also share this with you because I hope you can see that the power and the understanding of the doctrine of adoption, I want you to hear about the power that the Holy Spirit, when God puts his spirit in you, that you will start to see God as a father in a new way that you may never have before. It has transformed my life and hopefully to give you some hope. But I would say this as well. God wants to be known as your good father, even if your father wasn't. I know many of you, this is your story. Or maybe some of y'all, your dads didn't physically or verbally abuse you, but he was just the judge, just the cold, harsh, loveless enforcer. You did not experience much love or any tenderness, or there was just a your only relationship was your father was dependent on what you accomplished. You were, there was a deep, just success. I need to prove to my dad to get his, I need to succeed in life to make my dad approve me. Some of you had no father, period, totally absent. To you, you might as well call God a unicorn because you've never seen one. <laughs> so I know many in this room Knowing about God as Father, it's a hard concept for you to grasp. But then again, also, I understand, too, that there are many of you, by the grace of God, by the grace of God, you have incredible fathers, men who have loved the Lord and men who have confessed their sin to you and to your mommy and your friends and your relatives, and they've showed you grace and they've extended mercy and compassion and they've talked to you about Jesus and praise God for that. Maybe you're just simply suffering great grief and loss because your father has passed away. So there's lots of daddy issues in this room regardless. And then none of this is relatable to you. Again, I say praise God, but I would still encourage you to lock in, uh, be sensitive to this because as brothers and sisters in Christ, in this family of God, many of the people that the Lord brings into your family do struggle to see with God as father that the way that you do. I would say whatever you may be struggling to believe about God as Father today, he can heal that broken image. The bad examples of a bad father by showing you what a good father looks like. God wants to reclaim. God wants to take back. He wants to redeem the name Father for many of you in this room today, okay? I'm going to read this verse to you again. This verse has helped me. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I fear him. I'm scared of him. I'm mad of him. I'm mad at him. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And those two words, Abba, Father, incredible. Let me give you a little context. The, God, the title of God as Father in the New Testament is all over the place. You see Jesus almost every single time he's having an interaction or teaching moment. He's speaking, expressing about God as Father, his prayers to God as Father. He teaches us to pray to God as Father. But when we get into the Old Testament, we don't see so much Father talk. There's maybe four or five verses in the Old Testament that speak of God as a Father. 
because before the Messiah came, God was still very distant. That's why in the Old Testament, you see lots of reverence for temples and priests and sacrifices because God was separate from his people because God is so holy and he is so just and he is so perfect and he is to be revered and to be feared, and which is true and amen. But because of sin and because the Messiah hadn't come, there was this serious separation between God and his people. And then the Messiah, Jesus Christ, arrives and he flips the script and he, and he introduces us to this incredible reality that God wants to be known as a father. Jesus himself even prays this. We'll get to it in just a second. But Now, why do we have the same word twice? You might be going, Abba, Father. Why did you say the same word twice? And there's a reason, and it's beautiful. I want you to see that in the Greek, this word pater, it just simply means father, which is applied to, yeah, that's the guy who is in charge. Dad makes the rules. We obey. So there's the reverence. There's the strict. There's the justice. All those wonderful things that a good father should amplify in their home. But also, we have this Aramaic word, Abba. And this is put here for a specific reason for us as well, because it is showing us that there is another deeper, rich element to God as Father that we need to understand. And this word Abba, it's this intimate term that is used to communicate like a child, a relationship with a small child and their parent. It's the picture that you see of a child of no shame and no fear to approach their father and running in to show them a ladybug or running in to show them the bee sting on their knee. And this is not to depreciate that God is a father in the rule enforcer way, right? That is good. We know that. We obey God. And sometimes he disciplines us because we don't obey so well. But additionally, God is declaring here that he wants to be known as your personal loving, deeply compassionate, and caring Father. And we see Jesus' prayer in Mark 14. He says exactly that. If you go to Mark chapter 14, Jesus says, I'll just read you this, verse 36. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. So Jesus is praying to God, as father, and he has this right understanding that, God, you are in charge. All things are possible for you. But notice Jesus also comes to the Abba Father, compassionate Father. Would you remove this cup from me, Dad? We can learn a lot about the Father's heart of God from Jesus, can't we? That's his prayer right now. Father, I know things are all, all things are possible for you. I know you're in charge, but Father, I come to you because I'm sorrowful and I know you care for me and you love me. Both elements of Abba and Father are true. And this is how God wants to be known by you, brothers and sisters. He wants you to see him not just as the Father who gives the rules and keeps things in order, but he wants you to see him as the father that you can approach, the Abba that you can approach with confidence. These verses that Paul says here are identical to what Jesus says in the garden. And they're here for a reason. God wants to remind us about who he is. If you only see God through the lens of a harsh judge or a boss, then you have an incomplete view of God today, okay? He wants you to see him as father. And if you only see God through the lens 
of your earthly father who failed you, he wants to take the name father back. He wants to show you a better version. And in God's family as beloved sons and daughters, you got to understand the sweetest privilege of belonging to God as knowing him as father is that we never have to cower away from him. We never have to be scared of him. There should be never a feeling of fear, never a spirit of fear or guilt or shame, never. He only always says, come to me. And you might still wrestle with this today. You may feel like you can't see God in this kind of way. You feel like every time the word father comes into your head or thinking of God as father, it pushes you back into these feelings of fear. Or maybe you can't just see past God being a strict, compassionless judge. And I would say one more time, and I would say it this way, do not let fear rob you of coming to your God as father. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That verse, that sentence. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Can I tell you what, how fear may be robbing you of joy today? Maybe you're convicted of sin, which is good, but maybe you feel shame. You feel like you can't approach God. You don't feel like you can be met with patience and forgiveness. You're looking at God as only the judge who punishes sin. That's fear. When you don't feel like you have the assurance of your own salvation or you think that you have to do endless amounts of things to impress God and earn favor with God as Father, that's fear. When you think God is only mad at you and he just condemns you and he's just disappointed with you and you just keep annoying him and he's had it up to here with you, he's a person who doesn't love you, that's fear. Brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, whenever you have those thoughts of, I'm afraid of him, I can't approach him, I don't, he doesn't care about me, God doesn't listen to me, that's fear. Those are all lies. None of those things are from your good father, none of them. Do not let fear rob you. Do not let pain rob you. Do not let disappointment or depression rob you. Bring all of it to your father, your Abba Father, who cares for you. God has none of the sins and none of the failures of your earthly father. I can share with you, I remember back in the day, I was like 2006, I was walking around Sugar House Park with Pastor Steele, <laughs> uh, and I was like, I, I'm all in, man, this Christianity thing, like, I can't get enough, I can't stop reading this book, uh, this Jesus guy's incredible. Um, the people that I'm, these people I'm getting to know is just amazing, uh, but you just don't understand um, this idea of thinking of God as father is ridiculous to me, and I will never forgive my dad. Like, I remember telling still that. And I remember still, and the, the only way that he knows how, he laughed in my face, <laughs> laughed right in my face, <laughs> and said, Brian, I love you, um, and you have such a puny view of how big God is. And I remember him saying, just watch. Just watch and see what God does. Man, learning to experience God as Father changed me, but it did not 
come easy, man. Coming to God's word and wrestling with this and seeing the brothers and sisters in my life and them helping me and talking to me, spiritual fathers who have come and helped me. And by the spirit, God has been incredible in helping heal me from some of these daddy issues that I learned that I didn't have to be fearful. I didn't have to be angry. I was, putting, I was comparing God to God as father to a bad version of a father. And I could come to him as the perfect father. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen overnight. <laughs> Trust me, I have to fight almost every single day to not see God through the lens as a good father. But no matter how good or how bad your earthly father was or is, maybe today you just simply need to hear this. You've got to stop comparing God the Father to your earthly father. He's 10 million times greater. Ask the Spirit of God who is in you to help rewire your brains to fix the broken lens that you see God through. He will help you. It's been huge for me to see God as someone who has no sins and no failures, and he's just perfectly kind towards you. So my friend, as we wrap up, I'm just going to be honest. I feel maybe the Lord's pressing me to just speak to you. If this is you, um, maybe this is something you need to hear. Um, If you feel beaten down today, you feel like your job, your failure, or your anxiety, or your fear, um, your suicidal tendencies. Maybe you feel like you're failing as a parent or a spouse. You just, everything you think of, I'm just failing. I'm not enough. Can I just tell you that God is so proud to call you his son? He is so proud to call you his daughter. Where you've been, where you are, where he's taking you, He's so proud of you. J.I. Packer says this. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as Father. So simple. That's all I've been trying to say this whole time. When we come to grips with believing that the gospel is not just confessing that we are sinners and we need to be forgiven. But we are not just spiritual orphans. We are now children of God. We've been brought into a new family, that we have a seat at the Lord's table. We have a room in his home. Everything that belongs to him is mine. That's what it says in verse 17, right? We are heirs with Christ. Everything belongs to Christ. From him and to him and through him is everything Right, Romans 12 or 13, it's, it's somewhere in Romans, trust me. Everything belongs to Jesus Christ. And he says, it's all yours. Everything my Father has given me is yours. That's what it means to be an heir. It's a beautiful thing. But the most important thing is no matter, no gifts and bells and whistles and mansions, all that's cool, whatever, thanks God. But being able to call God as your Father is the greatest treasure, the greatest inheritance you could ever receive. He is a God who is always by your side, who always says, why don't you bring that to me? I'll give you rest. So I'd encourage you to rest in God's fatherly love today. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make 
a wretch his treasure. God is pleased with you. He's so proud to call you his son and his daughter. He paid greatly to rescue you, to bring you into his family. And he says, no one will snatch you from my hand. No one. Adoption is the sweetest doctrine. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is truth. Uh, thank you, Lord, for those of us who believe at the moment of our salvation, you became our Father. Do not let us forget that. Protect our minds and our hearts, Lord, from all the things that want to taint us from seeing you in that light. Lord, when we are weary, we are afraid. Help us to believe that there is no greater place to find comfort in than your arms. Lord, thank you for the spirit of adoption. Thank you that we are known and loved forever by you, sons and daughters forever. And thank you, Lord, for the promise that no matter what may come in this life, you are with us. And all God's children said, amen.